Wonderful words, wonderful song. All right. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 in our study of systematic theology. We are continuing on talking about, we've talked about the theme of the scriptures, and we're using uh, John Frame's systematic theology as the, uh, as the diving board in which to dive into these issues and these subjects. Um, the grand theme of the scriptures is God is Lord, the Lord, His Lordship. Um, and we talked about the Lordship attributes of God, then we talked about uh, the acts of God, how those acts of God display His Lordship. We talked about miracles, which are the extraordinary acts of God, whereby He manifests Himself as Lord. We talked about providence, which is the ordinary acts of God, whereby He displays His Lordship. Uh, then we talked about <clears throat> uh, creation, which is the immediate act of God, where He where he created all things outside of himself and established himself as Lord over all. And then we talked about, uh, well, that's it. We talked about all those. Then we started talking about not just the acts of God, but now the attributes of God, the things that can be attributed to God from the Scriptures, truths of God that we have. So that's why we call them attributes. And we started, John Frame at least started this conversation, with the goodness and love of God. So we've defined goodness, that is the benevolence of God and giving. Uh, and God is God freely gives based upon his lordship to all. Uh, and that's to the evil and to the good, <laughs> to the righteous, to the just, and to the unjust. God is a good God. He gives good gifts to all. Uh, so, goodness is a description of his general benevolence, and then we started talking about his love. Love is the attitude of God behind all of his goodness, the motivation. And when we talk about God, um, what, when, when it says God is love, this is a chief attribute. This is an essential attribute of the character and persons of God. God is a loving God. And we even got into this idea of, of, um, of the universal nature of his love, that he loves all. He even loves the lost. Those that will remain lost, he loves them. God loved the world and gave his son, that whosoever believes. So there are people in the world that will not be among those that are believing that were objects of God's love. And and, and uh, that sounds Arminian, uh, and I, I, we're going to talk more and more about the doctrines of grace as it comes, but we shouldn't be afraid of just saying this general truth of the Scripture. God loves sinners, all sinners, and, and He has displayed His love and he, as, just as He has displayed His goodness to all. Even those that are lost and without Christ, he, he has shown himself to be loved. But when we talk about love, we're talking about the great experience of the, of, of the elect, the saved, with the love of God. God loves his church. 
and gave himself for it. There is a particularness. There is a particular nature of his love towards those that are his. And we ended by talking about uh, him displaying his lordship. Um, so he is lord over his love. Why does he love you? Why does he love me? Well, it's not because we're lovely. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and that was a good place to start with our singing, Jesus, lover of my soul. And he gets into the nitty gritty of that in that song that we just sung. I am all unrighteousness. Thou, foul and full of sin I am. But yet Jesus is the lover of my soul. And he freely gives his love to sinners that he saves. And we are, the saved are the particular objects of his love. Um, and he, and he uh, persuades them with his love to reconcile to him. He gives us a new heart of love. He is the cause of our love to him. Amen? We love him because he first loved us. And then, so when we read the promises of heaven, uh, I hath not seen, near, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I hath not seen, ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But he's the cause of my love. He is sovereign over, over his own love, and he particularly showed his love, drew me, and created a new heart within me. And did all those things and it brought me into this love relationship with him. We love him because he is the first cause of my love towards him. So even in his love, just as in his goodness, he's sovereign, he's Lord. So in his love, he is sovereign and is Lord. And that brings us to uh, another aspect of, of goodness and love. Grace. And I want to get into what is grace today. Um, grace is, in Scripture, refers to His benevolence in the same way that goodness does. But grace is very specific. Much more specific than just talking about His goodness. But this is an aspect of His goodness and His love. Especially to those that believe. But let's look at the nuances here, and I, want to, and I want to do what Frame does here in his book and march through the Scriptures and see if we can ascertain what grace is. Now, there is a Hebrew word first that we want to deal with in... And pray for me, I'm going to start studying Hebrew starting today. So I'm going to try to, try to learn, learn to read Hebrew a little... Well... A little. <laughs> this, but there is a Hebrew word transliterated as hen. Easy to remember. You can, think of, you can think of as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. This is the word that is often in the Old Testament scriptures that stands for grace. We don't really talk a lot about grace in the Old Testament, but that's a good place for us to start to understand how we talk about grace in the New Testament. This word hen is often, and by translators, just translated grace, but it also could be translated favor. 
And that's what grace is. It's favor. The favor of God. In, in, uh, in dealing with people. And it's also sometimes translated mercy. So this is what we would call the semantical range of the word hen in the Old Testament. The semantical range. So, so uh, the word, when we run into the word, it, 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 it talks about the positive attitude that we call favor or the giving of, the giving of God the favor of God. Often we're going to find this word uh, found in little phrases like finding favor or hen in someone's eyes. You think of, of Laban, for instance. Laban said of Jacob, if I have found favor in your eye, I have learned that I have found favor in the eye. How did he say it? <laughs> I have fa- if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by the Lord that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And he asked Jacob to stay if he found favor. That's that word, hen, favor, mercy, grace. There, there it would be, it would be uh, uh, the semantical word we would use would be favor. If I have found favor in your eyes. That's the word. And we describe, and that's how it's used to describe human favor. That word will describe favor that we give one another. Uh, we, we use that, can you do me a favor? We still use that, that language. Uh, but it doesn't, pers- when you use the word in the Old Testament, it, doesn't pre- it does not presuppose any detail about why the favor is needed or why the favor is granted. Uh, you have to you generally search out uh, the context in order to learn that. But the weighty theological issue is when this word is used of God, when, we, when the Old Testament uses this term of God, when He's the one that shows Him favor, grace, mercy, uh, it's different than when man shows favor. Uh, because... Well, if I was to ask, uh, if I was asked, okay, if I was asked Rocky for a favor, uh, I'm an all right guy, and he might want to do a favor for me, right? <laughs> he he might want to show me his favor. He might want to show me grace or mercy or whatever it is needed when I'm asking. Why? Because I'm not bad, am I? <laughs> you, you might you might want to show me favor. Uh, so. When we talk about God showing favor, what are we in the eyes of God? Well, we're fallen, we're sinful, we're cursed. That's what we are. We're sinners. So, so when God enters the picture as the one that is showing him or showing favor, any favor that is shown by God is really shocking in the Scriptures. And it should shock us. In fact, uh, let's go to the first time the word is used to used in the Old Testament, uh, speaking of God, being the one that shows it, and that's in Genesis chapter six. Let us let us look here at the context in which it is shown. The context in which which it is shown is this. 
verse 6, or verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man. Now, when we're talking about of man, how many men is he talking about? All of them. All right. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, that's distributively, uh, every man's imagination, uh, and the imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that He made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. And the Lord said, I'm going to destroy him. And we know the story of Genesis 6 here. And it is in this instance that it says in verse 8, But Noah found him. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of God. So Noah found so so why did Noah found favor? Was Noah not sinful? Was Noah not included among those whose imaginations of the heart were evil? Yes. So in the context of a complete sinfulness, God showed him favor, grace. So so why did he do it? He did it for his own reasons. No reason is given for why Noah found grace, right? It didn't say, well, Noah was walking with the Lord for hundreds of years already, and Noah Noah was just exceptionally good during this time. There's no reason given. We don't believe that God had no reason for showing grace or showing favor or hen to Noah. He just did, and he did so freely. Why? Because he is Lord over his grace. And we're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to talk about the idea of of the sovereignty of God's grace in a second. But for his own reasons, he gave to one one among sinful mankind favor. And he had his reasons. Nothing in this text tells us that Noah... Noah... uh, was entitled to it. We have no reason to believe Noah was entitled. We don't know of any righteous acts that he did, but turn, if you will, to Hebrews 11. We know what Noah did after this. After Noah, Hebrews 11, rather, after Noah found grace in the eyes of God, it says this of him in Hebrews 11. It says... And in verse 7, and I'm still in chapter 10, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. We know what he did after. He moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So he did not, he was not entitled to the warning of God. God in his favor, warned Noah, showed favor to Noah, gave hen to Noah. 
So we're already getting a good idea of what is meant by this word hen in the Old Testament, this word favor, grace, mercy, um, as it is applied. Uh, let's look at a few other places. Uh, Genesis, Going back to Genesis 33, we're just going to run through. Uh, I'm going to go through the outline here of verses that uh, John Frame was using, but John 33, or Genesis 33, rather. Genesis 33 and verse 11. Jacob tells his brother Esau here, he says, Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God has dealt graciously with me. God has shown me favor. God has given him to me. Uh, so, so here Jacob is recognizing his life. He's looking at all the things that God has done for him. And who is Jacob? Well, Jacob's a liar. Jacob's a schemer. Jacob, uh, so Jacob has supplanted his brother. He is he is absconded with the with the blessings from his father, and he he is given favor of God. Jacob's son Joseph would later said would would later use this as a blessing to bless his son, where he would say in Genesis forty three, as he blesses his son going forward. Genesis 43, 29, he says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin and his mother's son and said, Is this your younger son brother whom you spake of? Not, not his son, but his younger brother Benjamin who I'm talking about. And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. So, so here we again see a third use of the word hen, and God is the one that is given. This became a blessing by which they blessed one another. The next reference is going to be in Exodus 33. Just running through these where we see God as the giver of favor, the giver of him. Thirty-three and verse twelve, it says, "And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight." And he goes on to seek the divine grace of God, and Moses will will as impede in in. Imploring God for His continued presence, but no, Moses sees as the basis of his plea. He begins, "You have said, I have found favor in your eyes," and he, upon that, makes continued request for favor for the people. Now I pray thee, if I have found grace, verse thirteen, in thy sight, show me now thy way. So. 
this idea that God must be present with Israel so that the world will know that God is pleased, or hen again, after Israel had sinned, uh, with Moses and with Israel. And God grants the request in verse 17. It says, And the Lord said unto me, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And it is in this instance that Paul would later use this text in verse 19 to speak about our own salvation in Romans 9. But in verse 19 he says this famous words. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will will show mercy. There he uses two words. He says, I will have mercy. There, there, that word is hen. And I will be gracious. There, that word is henun. But this, or it's the other way around. Mercy is henun and uh, compassion here, or mercy is raham. But that's neither here nor there. But this, this idea that I am sovereign over my grace, I will freely give my grace to whom I will, comes from, the, from this very text. So God's grace is also continues to be prominent uh, and it's connected with His covenant name, Yahweh. Exodus 34, just one chapter over. Exodus 34. And verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. So this is still the same instance in which the Lord he is pleading for the gracious presence of God. It says the Lord, and this is the Lord proclaiming. He is giving this in covenant form. The Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity, and so on, so forth. So he connects now this word grace as we continue to develop and look at it, develop it through the Old Testament, that this is connected with his own name, the name Lord. Um, so, in these passages, God, in each one of these instances, no, no reason is given for God why He shows grace. And in fact, most instances in the context, He has given grace to sinful people for His own reasons. And He says as much here to Moses, where He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. That's, that's uh, a reason to run to the Lord. Amen? I've, I've heard people um, talk about this idea of God being sovereign over His grace or Lord over His own grace to give it to whomever He will freely as being unfair and, and things of that nature. No, he doesn't. He, no, there's not one of these people, including Moses or the children of Israel, or, and that was entitled to his mercy. 
And the context is continually telling us that they weren't. They weren't at all. So, go to Deuteronomy chapter 9. God, in there in Exodus 33 and 34, continued His presence with the people of Israel based upon the intercession of Moses. And Moses finding grace, he also, for his people, uh, won the favor of God there. But who was he giving grace to? He was giving grace to a stiff-necked people. And he says as much here in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy 9. Stiff neck doesn't describe any of us, does it? (laughs) All right, no. We're kind of stubborn as well, aren't we? Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6. Speak not in thine heart after the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, talking about when they go into the promised land and drive the other people out, for my righteousness the Lord hath brought me into possession of this land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out before thee. Not for your righteousness or, or the uprightness of your heart does this, does, do you go to possess the land, but for the wickedness of the nations, these nations, the Lord thy God does drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord swore unto unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God gives thee not the good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for you're a stiff-necked people. Amen. Uh, So this is part of the grace of uh, fulfilling his covenant to the people of Israel. And he says it's not because you're good. It's not because you're so wonderfully righteous. And if it seems repetitious here, Frame says, we should conclude that the point point that God is making uh, uh, is important. And God took special pains to communicate it to a stiff-necked people. God's grace to men appears to them despite their unrighteousness. So what do we conclude about the teaching of grace in the Old Testament? It's simply like this. God gives grace as Lord or as sovereign over all His grace. He gives it to unworthy people freely. Um, and it's a covenantal. It's based upon His covenant with that He freely entered in as Lord. When we talk about the idea of grace in the Old Testament, it's based upon His promises that He freely gave to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And because of those promises, He continued to give grace to people. So... This, be, this is 
God initiates each time with Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the nation of Israel as a whole whom Moses uh, interceded for, and so on and so forth. And it's not arbitrary. He has his own reasons for doing so, but it flows from his covenant lordship. And so that becomes, that becomes the, the impetus at which we seek God's blessing. And it becomes a benediction even in the Old Testament. Um, let's look at the priestly benediction here, Numbers 6. Number 6, verse 24. This is the priestly benediction where it says, on the third day, uh, that's seven. No wonder it looks weird. (laughs) All right. Uh, Verse four. No, 24, I said. The Lord bless thee. So this is the priestly benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious, hen unto thee, favorable to thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel. So this becomes the very benediction. So Israel bears the name of God. Uh, Frame said, He is her Lord, He is Yahweh, He is present with her, He shows them favor or him because of Israel's, not because of Israel's righteousness, but because He is their Lord. That is grace. And it's not only covenantal, it's not only, uh, I keep, now I've completely lost the marker. There it is. Uh, It's not only covenantal, it's not only uh, sovereign or free, we'll just use the word free, but it's also very personal. God, based upon His own reasons, gives grace and shows favor towards specific people. Now let's turn from the Old Testament or the New Old Testament to the New. So the Old Testament, the word is hen. In the New Testament, we're going to get a new word. And that is charis. That's the word we're gonna we run into in the old in the New Testament, and it has different variations, but that's the basic word. It appears very rarely in the Gospels, but. John emphasized it in one place. John chapter 1. In the great epilogue of the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. This is how he ends the epilogue for the book. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, charis, and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried and saying, This was He whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me, and His fullness have we all received." And grace for grace. 
For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That is how we are presented with the incarnation. When we speak of grace, it flows from what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So the vocabulary of grace is a little bit different from the New Testament because we have this personification of it. The personification of the favor of God towards His people, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, The term continues, although it's rarely found in the Gospels, uh, it's found a little bit more often in the book of Acts as we see the post-Gospel, or not post-Gospel, but the post, what I mean by the death, burial, and resurrection, this, we have this developing idea of grace. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, we have its next mentioned here in the New Testament. And it will end up becoming the great theme of the faith of Christ. The, this idea that He is the fullness of grace to us. Uh, but Acts chapter 4 and verse 33 And great power, and with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So, here in the book of Acts, the term appears indicating the divine influence, and I'm just going to read the note here from frame, that moved the church to care sacrificially for the poor. Great grace was given upon them all as they. Uh, And it goes on in verse 34, Neither was there any lack of of them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land and houses sold them, and brought the pieces, the prices rather, of the things that were sold, and laid them out at the apostles' feet. This idea of the great grace, the sacrificial giving. Here grace is not only an attribute of God's favor, or the attitude of God's favor in part, as it was in the Old Testament, but but it also it describes here the active power of enabling people to do the works of God. Great grace was given upon, upon them all, and neither did any of them lack, and they gave one to another to provide for their needs. Let's turn to Acts 11, just a few pages over, as we're just marching through these texts. Oh, wow, I'm almost, I'm out of time. I spent... I need to, I'll hurry up and try to reach a stopping point here. But Acts, uh, where did I say? 11.23. Barnabas, he goes to Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose they should content, they would cleave unto the Lord purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. It was something visible, this outpouring of grace that he saw. Um, There with the people, here again, God's grace is his power brought about, bringing about faith. That's the context here in chapter 11. He brings about faith. It says, then the tidings of these things, verse 22, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, of what things? That the hand of the Lord, and in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and great numbers believed and turned unto the Lord. 
Then the tidings of these things came, and when, in verse 23, and when he came, Barnabas, and had seen the grace of God. These people believing was brought about by God's grace, his charis. So God, by his power, was bringing people to faith in Christ, enabling them to believe. Acts 18, verse 27. Acts 18, verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass through Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Greatly helped those through grace who through grace, grace had believed. Uh, is one way to read that text. Uh, as we, so this idea is developing that people believe by grace. Uh, go, go back to Acts 13. I just want to hurry up and go through the book of Acts here as we develop this and I'll have to come to a stop. Acts 13, verse 43. Grace of God here is referred to the gospel itself in verse 43. Uh, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So the gospel becomes the word of His grace in chapter 14, 3 and verse 20, verse 32, and the gospel of His grace in chapter 20 and verse 24. Um, it is that which God brought about through Christ, uh, the, sub, the, the, the subject of our faith. When we get to Acts chapter 15, we have this split between two groups, and I would draw it out, but I don't have time and I'm keeping you. But... We had on the one side early Christianity and on the other side the Jews and the Judaizers uh, and, and, and they were battling out. Some were, those on the Judaizing side were saying that Gentiles who were fought, believing upon Christ needed to become Jews uh, first in order to become Christians. Basically that was, the, that was uh, the argument. And they need to follow everything within the law of Moses, specifically all the ceremonies and so on and so forth. Uh, but Peter stood up um, to argue against them. And Peter said in verse 15, 10 through 11, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. From this point in New Testament, grace is not only God's favor, but God's power to save us. So we had this development of this teaching of grace, and it becomes this great... I'm not going to go through all the scriptures in the New Testament to deal with this, but Romans chapter 3, for instance, righteous, the righteousness of God through faith upon all that believe... Um, they are justified by His grace in Romans 3. Uh, Galatians 2, um, uh, 20 and 21 gives us the same idea that we become justified freely by His grace. Most famously, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are we saved through faith. It is the gift of God. This idea that, that the faith itself was the favor of God shown unto us. 
Um, God, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, God saved us and called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own grace, which He gave to us through Christ. And we can literally go through this, through this where God is saving solely by His unmerited favor. So this is the great word that we have. We didn't deserve it. It was unmerited, just as it was in the Old Testament, freely given by God to sinners. And that is the great teaching of grace. Uh, we, we don't have time to go through a lot of these scriptures, but I wanted to kind of just give this. The grace of our Lord, it becomes the benediction that was given often, just as it was in the Old Testament, it became the benediction of the people. God's favor be upon thee. So in the New Testament, it becomes the benediction. He says, grace be upon you in truth. Um, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. That became the way that the Christians spoke. But it was become great, much more meaningful in in the New Testament because Christ had come in the fullness of grace and truth to keep His promises as, our, as the, co- the covenant Lord of His people. So hopefully that helped give you an understanding of what the Scriptures teach about grace. I feel like I was running through at a, at a, at a four-minute mile pace there <laughs> to just try to get through the Scriptures. We're going to build upon this idea next week and start trying to, and, and try to apply this a little bit more. But that's the general teaching of grace in the Scriptures. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? No, no grieving to do. Jimmy, you look like you got something to say. <laughs> the, the, the subject of grace is exciting. I hope I, hope I didn't bore you with uh, with just uh, going through the scriptures there, but hopefully it was enlightening. And we got about ten minutes before the next hour. <laughs>